0: First, you must realize that you have no idea before you can know the idea. We scan across all the frequencies if we want to learn anything new. Let us begin. What has physics done for me lately? Furthermore, the equation
1: E is equal to mc squared. We have now acquired a fateful power to alter and to destroy nature.
2: That's like when you're in physics and you get a dream about saying, Oh, this is a physics excursion.
0: What is it all about? The whole of human history all falls in the dust of one stroke of the nail file. You can't really get to grips with evolution unless you realize uh, what an enormous amount of time... Our own planet is only a tiny part of the vast cosmic tapestry, a starry fabric of worlds yet untold. Good morning. You tuned into what can be only, I don't know what I'm saying now, described as the best radio station in the world, (laughs) (laughs) 4CCC, feed on your conventional wireless radio (laughs) by tuning into the classic frequency, 102.1 FM, digital devices such as DAB and smart speaker, and listening via the Community Radio Plus app, or streaming us live from our sensational website at 4ZZZ.org. Au. And of course, you can always listen back to us or any 4 Z show using the ingenious on-demand feature also found at that URL. The show is, of course, no idea, spelt with a K, your weekly dose of science. And joining me today to speak all things science are some of my favourite science communicators. May I please welcome into the studio via the streaming service, good morning Peter and good morning Gabe.
3: Good morning.
2: Morning, Max. Have you heard about the uh, mystery space object over in Perth?
0: Yes, I saw a picture of it. Washed up
2: on a beach. I yeah. reckon we'll get into that a little later. Oh, in the show
0: space news. <laughs> uh, and Max, I got a, a bit of racing science I got going on. I got a bit of. Uh, when you were saying a bit of space junk, I thought you were talking about the French woman that got hit by a meteorite. Did you read about that? No.
2: <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm glad we'll you had g- the hit
0: by <laughs> a meteorite bit at the end. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll get into that as well. But, uh, yeah, Easy's here. I'll let Easy in, and let's get into the science this week. You tuned into the show, No Idea, your weekly dose of science with me, Max, Izzy. Yup. Peter. And Gabe. <laughs> Who wants to kick us off?
2: righty. Same-sex macaques. That's what i got to talk about for my weird science this Fair morning. Enough. So a small content warning on this one. If you don't want to hear about some monkey business, I'd like to share with you this bisexual monkey science that has come out a few days ago from researchers at the Imperial College of London. QS ranking?
0: Oh, that'd be like oh, 38.
4: Yeah, I'm going so for 41.
0: Six.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they okay. have watched too-
3: <laughs> Jay's presence is really messy <laughs> Yeah Jay goes away they, These
2: researchers From the sixth best, universe, best university in the world Have yes. watched 200, Published in Nature too mm. uh, Have watched 236 male macaque monkeys On a tropical island in Puerto Rico Over three years And when I say watched I do mean Watch these male monkeys Have sex with each other yeah. Reeses macaques Just to recap are very monkey looking monkeys, brown, gray, sort of
0: monkey-looking color, <laughs> pink,
2: long faces, sort mm. of niche height. They're like, they are like the background character of the monkey world, right? Like they're the monkeys that you think of when you just think of generic monkey. That's, that's a rhesus macaque. And over the course of this three-year study, the yeah. researchers observed 46% of the male macaques mount, what they call mount a female, mm. uh, and 72% of them mount another male. Right. Ooh. Here's the best bit though, by yeah. far. They also found that certain male macaques were wait for this. That certain male macaques were more likely to be mounters and others more likely to be mountees which you may have other words for that you'd rather use and there was no connection between the social status of the male macaques and whether they were a mount her or a mountee which implies that preference. these same sex behaviours uh, sexual behaviours aren't about asserting dominance they aren't a mistake in evolution because they they also had no fitness cost associated with these behaviours so mm. it's not connected to their social status it's not a fitness cost thing so it's not it's not a dominance assertion thing it's not something to do with like being a better survival and passing on your genes and then they backed that up with two of the findings one the males who mount each other are also more likely to back each other up in conflicts and two when they looked at nearly 70 years of ancestry data on each of the males they found there was a genetic link partial partial genetic link to the male macaques who mounted other male macaques as in the same sex sexual behaviors in male macaques is a behavior that's partially genetic and is used as a bonding behavior between groups of males in coalitions with each other so there you go. Male macaques might beat off their friends to help them beat other rivals. Oh.
0: <laughs> How long did you work he on that? Oh, you <laughs> went there. That's terrible gap. You're up, Max. Yeah, okay. Oh my God. This study is to see if chat GPT is actually productive or not. So a pair of researchers at MIT, QS ranking.
4: MIT, uh, one? like Two? one? Yeah,
0: it's one, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. 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 Easy. Have conducted an experiment designed to determine if the use of Chat GPT by college educated professionals can make them more productive. In their study, reported in the journal Science, Shakid Noid and Whitney Zane designed and conducted a study in which college educated professionals engage in incentivized writing tasks. What's an incentivized writing task?
3: Incentivized, rate for or a money for or a yeah, yeah, money. Let's it's say an money. It's incentivized. <laughs> you just ask. You don't have to redo it.
0: <laughs> Apparently, a bit of backstory here for those who don't know what Chat GPT is. In the eight months since Chat GPT became mainstream, it has incited a storm of controversy. Some have suggested AI-based applications will make life easier because it can carry out tasks that others do not want to do. Others suggest that such applications are going to make many jobs obsolete. This idea is not new. What is new is that this time job losses could occur in the professional sector rather than sectors involving labour-intensive tasks. In this new effort, the researchers noted that many of their colleagues were using ChatGPT to improve their productivity in writing projects some have suggested that using ChatGPT GPT increased the quality of their written work as well. Thus, rather than losing their jobs, the use of AI appeared to be making them better at their jobs. The researchers wondered if such use was widespread among college-educated professionals. To find out, they designed and carried out an experiment in which 453 volunteers in such positions completed two types of writing assignments, a press release and a policy report with the option of using ChatGPT as an assistant. 80% of them chose to do so. A second group of peers reviewed the work reviewed the work, as a means of measuring productivity and quality. The researchers found that the volunteers using ChatGPT took 40% less time to complete their assignments than those who did not use the app. They also found that those who used the app produced results that were judged to be 18% higher in quality the researchers Mm. acknowledged that they did not conduct (laughs) fact-checking on the writing produced by the volunteers. Oh, (laughs) Oh, okay, well... (laughs) And therefore, it is not known (laughs) if the increase in efficiency and quality came at the cost of accuracy. (laughs) And at the end of this, uh, I I threw this into the OpenAI ChatGPT app and I I asked it, ChatGPT, what do you think of this research? And it replied... This study sheds light on the potential benefits of using AI applications like ChatGPT in professional settings. It suggests that AI can enhance productivity and potentially improve the quality of written work. However, it is crucial to consider other factors such as the potential trade off between efficiency and accuracy. Further research and evaluation are needed to fully understand the implications and limitations of AI implementation in the professional sector. That's interesting. interesting.
4: Well, you don't know the recent controversy in my household is that my younger sister got pinged um, because apparently she had written her religion essay in ChatGPT. Yes. Oh, that's fair. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which I totally mm. admit. And I was mm. like, look, if you want me to teach you how to write an essay in ChatGPT in which you actually have to like read over it and make sure it makes grammatical sense. Yes. Because sometimes, yeah, it gives you the basis. It gives you. It gets you started on the first 40% of that essay and then you mm. just kind of refine it? it down. Mm. Yes. No, it was an automatic generated like turn it in uh, yeah. thing that her sentence structure was so poor that they thought it was written by AI. (laughs) (laughs) So, which generated a whole other conversation about her English skills. So, I think it's really interesting when we do stuff like that where it's like, oh, AI is going to, you know, take over 100% of human work. Yeah. We can't even, humans can't even do 100% of that work. So, there's like, how do we talk of like, there's a lot. you're really roasting. I'm sorry, (laughs) but it was just one of those things where it was like, I get what they're trying to do within regards to, like, academia yeah. and making sure that, obviously, people are not cheating using AI. Mm. But also the way that you regulate that as the academic, mm. you know, not doing auto-filed, like, compiled checks and yeah, yeah. Um, citations. Is that whatever. how it was
0: picked up? Yes. Using yeah, software. Yeah, and apparently, like, yeah. going into
4: the logs and stuff like that. The, the school okay. had pulled out all sorts of, like, yeah. technological jargon to, to excuse it. I was like, yeah. look... If, st- if English is not your strongest suit, of course it's going to get picked up. Like, AI yeah. relies on basic right. sentence structure. But I think that's interesting, Max, and I think it's a new way of us to look at AI, not as an enemy, but as maybe a, a good
3: friend. Your friend. It's tool. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's like, y- I think you brought out something really interesting there with the Turnitin yeah. stuff. There was a study that came out pretty recently. I cannot remember who by or where from, but they talked about how they found that those automatic pings of people using AI for, that's in quotations, for their assignments got frequently pinged on people who had English as a second language. Exactly. Mm. Or because it comes up and it goes, hey, you're not using the correct sentence structure, but it might just be because it's their second language and they have different sentence structures in their thought process. Mm. So that is inherently unfair and something that needs to be understood in the way that we manage this tool. Exactly. Thanks, Max.
0: Okay. For those who don't know, it's International Hot Dog Day today. Oh,
4: what? (laughs) Uh, Such an intelligent conversation. I just bring
0: the science back into the conversation. It shows no idea with Max, Izzy, Peter and Gabe And it's part two of this I thought I was a loose cannon But we've got Peter in the room What do you got for us? Yeah, you
3: do Alright, so it's weird science we've had some weird science but i want you to imagine what is the weirdest way you can imagine communicating
0: mm, clicks
3: true oh okay <laughs> Clicks. True, that's yeah. weird anyway anyone else smoke uh, signals <laughs> but,
2: like that <get laughs> real weird smoke stuff uh,
3: all right okay um i am your friendly neighborhood marine scientist that's my title so obviously we went under the ocean oh Let's talk about what I consider to be the weirdest way of communicating. It's from Herring, and I would like to shout out my boss because she's the one who told me about this. Mm. Herring, fart to communicate.
0: <laughs> oh, just like a nice. okay. yeah. And I
3: have to say, this was published in Science. We're going really highbrow with our Science today. This mm. is a Science Journal article. It's from a while ago, but it, I only just found out about it. So essentially as we've talked about before sound and noise is incredibly important in the ocean because it travels so much more efficiently than light right like it can go further faster if you were going to choose a method to communicate under the ocean you would choose something to do with sound because it's just so bloody efficient Hmm. so obviously obviously things use sound to communicate that's how they've evolved but herrings have incredibly Incredibly good hearing, even for a fish. Like, even for fish standards, they have amazing, amazing hearing. How do they know so that? They
0: asked them, And they farted back.
3: <laughs> yeah, there's lots of different ways you could find out. You could actually look at, like, the anatomy of the ear. You can sort of test so to see how far away they can hear things, how loud they hear things, how they react. Lots of different ways you can test hearing. I'm not sure exactly how they found out. Mm. But herring are a pretty common fish, so I feel like people were probably looking at their ears for a while. Um, so when they saw these amazing ears, they were like well why do you need that like what are you using these things for and so they filmed them like they kind of did with Gabe's McCorks and they filmed them they put them in a little tank so you can film them better and what they saw was bubbles shooting out of their ass (laughs) (laughs) which is incredible Um, which by the way you might be wondering cool bubbles How is that noisy? They make like little whistles and thumps when they do this. Hmm. So it does make a sound that they can hear. And they do it as they ascend and descend as well as when they're scared and at dusk, which is generally when they meet up. So that's what implies that it's a form of communication because they do it around other herring. They need to gulp air at the surface to be able to do this. So I don't know if you guys have had like pet fish at home, but a lot of freshwater fish will do this. They come up to the surface and they kind of just go gulp, 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 and then they'll... Be literally just sucking in air mm. rather than mm. using their gills so herring do that to be able to do this farting thing <laughs> and so then the researchers were like okay let's double check let's 100 make sure that this is what they're doing and how they're doing it and why they're doing it and what they did is they removed all the air at the surface of the tank so A they vacuum. weren't able to gulp no, yeah basically they yeah. just filled the tank they couldn't gulp for air so that's how they knew and essentially as soon as they got rid of the air they stopped doing it. And they died. It's clearly not a necessary thing for their functioning. It's just a thing they do to communicate. They died. <laughs> <laughs> they all died. And that's a problem for everyone. No, that's not what happened to the still. Why have they stopped
0: communicating? And why are they sitting at the bottom of the fish tank?
3: Why are they all upside down? Um, they were fine. I want to be completely clear. All of these fish are fine. Yeah. Well, actually, they're probably dead by now, but they're mm. fine. They mm. were fine. Um, so the team actually gave this communication technique a term and I want you guys to guess what it is. Oh, God.
0: Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you this question. Yeah, okay. Um, you
3: got anything better? I don't. Fleshulence? <laughs> All
4: right.
3: well, that's the same thing. <laughs>
4: so I didn't hear games, so <laughs> there's, there's no other... How I don't know...
3: Okay, so Gabe, stop looking at my notes. He's looking at my notes, everyone. (laughs) I just want to say that. So if he comes out with the answer, it's because he's cheating. They called it FRT, or Fast Repetitive Ticks. And you're probably thinking, well, that actually sounds pretty scientific. But then in the paper, they said the fish were FRTing, or furting.
0: Ah, (laughs) there you go. (laughs) It's quite funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: So, yeah. Herrings, fruit to communicate.
0: Nice. Izzy, ready, go for us.
3: Well, mine's
4: also very highbrow as (laughs) well. (laughs) Um, So, (coughs) a recent Swedish University of Agricultural Science study examined that adding tropical algae known as red sea plume to dairy cow feces can reduce the greenhouse gas emissions from their manure. (coughs) Oh, yes. (coughs) Approximately a third of anthropogenic... Oh, my God. Um, Methane is emitted by ruminant livestock. Animals with four-chambered stomachs, such as cows, produce methane gas whilst digesting. However, their manure also emits the gas when decomposing. As a result, natural methane inhibitors have been discussed as a solution to combat this. Now, of course, you can probably imagine there are two different ways to do this. Hmm. You can do it from the front end or from the back end. Oh. The,
0: <laughs> yeah, well, At least you're on topic.
4: I, I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> the team of researchers found that red sea plumes mixed with the poo, hmm. so after it's left the cow, reduced what methane... What a job. What yeah. a, I know, what a job, <laughs> just mixing, <laughs> mixing this algae in with cow poo. Yeah, um, take um, that
0: AI. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> Replace this. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
4: Jesus. Um, it reduced methane production by forty-four percent, which was more productive than results found by adding the algae to the cow's food. Ah. When the algae was ingested, it increased the levels of iodine found in cows' milk, which humans may consume. So ideally, we're not doing that. But red algae is commonly found in tropical to warm waters. Its main compound is bromophome, which mitigates methane by blocking the process through which the gas is generated. To date, this is the most promising natural methane inhibitor. Now, the researchers say that, yes, the findings were promising, but the sample group was only of four cows. Oh. So, mm. I can't wait to see this expanded out to, yeah. dare I say, five or <laughs> even
0: more. <laughs> <laughs> you, so you, you dare to dream.
4: I, I can dare to dream, yeah. A whole field. There we go, Peter. A field. A field. I'll I'll get the Swedish on hand right now and just let them know. (laughs) Come on over to Oz. We've got some.
2: (laughs) This this algae thing has been going on for a long time, this idea that you can put algae in cow Mm. food and and, and reduce it. There was was another study that came out recently that was sort of the first one i'd seen that that found that the results weren't as promising as hoped when they scaled it up from four cows to a, you know an actual <laughs> <field> <laughs> of cows in yeah. real practice and f- right. putting stuff in their in their feed uh, and they'd found that the reductions weren't yeah. as uh, actually no they didn't put them in a field they put them in a in a room where they controlled, they they could monitor the gas mm. contents of the entire room, oh, mm. and so they could actually monitor the real world: how much methane is this reducing by putting this feed in? And it wasn't as good, but hopefully methods like this can can up the efficiency and make it work.
4: If yeah, not, we'll do. Oh yeah. If not, we'll do like a carbon capture sort of thing where it's just these four cows <laughs> trying to mitigate dome. the effects of the rest of the cows. It's just like the Hunger
3: Games with, with these four cows against yeah. just all of the greenhouse gases. Cool, cool. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, <laughs>
0: right.
3: you stop all of your friends from burping? Yeah, he's your a tribute. Ease, your emission. That's
0: right. What's up, Brisbane? What's up next? No. You tune into Fort Triple <laughs> <laughs> Get
4: the ramifications of your action, Max. <laughs> what you have cutting everyone else off.
0: <laughs> you tuned into Four Triple Z and the show has no idea. With Max, Izzy, Peter, and Gabe. And we're gonna get into some marine scientists for this Wednesday. What do you got for us, Peter?
3: Yeah. What's my title, Max?
0: Sorry, you're our friendly neighborhood marine scientist
3: that's correct actually if it's interesting to anyone i chose that title four (laughs) years ago now because i am and will forever be obsessed with spider-man and i was thinking recently about like what kind of spider-man i would be Mm. and i wanted to do an australian spider and i'm Kind of stuck between like golden orb because I thought it'd be cool to have like healing powers or like a water dancer because that is a marine spider. But that's just like for whoever has an idea, please text in. Mm. Let me know which spider I should be. That's not really about my story. I just wanted to talk about that because I love it. I am going to start with a question though. Yes, it should be easy. You guys should know this. Mm-hmm. Why is the sky blue? Oh,
0: here we go. I know this one.
2: Okay, be- we'll go on because yeah, it's it's go, yeah. oh, Max. No, you no, no,
3: no, no. go ahead, go.
2: It's, it's to do with the fact that red, uh, the, the wavelength of red light is shorter or longer than blue light? Longer. longer. Which means it bounces away easier than the short light bounces through and gets... It's the same reason that the ocean has a blue tinge and the uh. red light bounces off quicker.
3: Sort of. They're connected. So that's why I asked is because it is a connected question, right? So the sky is blue because blue light is scattered in all directions. Mm-hmm. Blue is scattered more than other colours because it is shorter. It's a shorter, smaller wave, and it's why we can see a blue sky. My next question was going to be, is the ocean blue? Does anyone have a different answer to Gabe?
0: It's a reflexo- reflection of The, the sky.
3: sky. <laughs> All right, so that's like the most common answer. And it is, it's like partially a little bit true. But the main reason as to why the ocean is blue is actually similar to why the sky is blue. And it's because, as we talked about earlier, actually, in Weird Science, light just isn't super hot in the ocean. Like, it gets absorbed much, much faster than it does in the air. And the colours that get absorbed first and the most are the red. So red end. Mm-hmm. Larger, larger spectrum of waves. And so what's left over looks overwhelmingly blue. Like, Mm. it's very, very blue. But here's the thing. The ocean can also look green, red, and many other hues, depending on what's in it. So sediments, what's living in it. So, like, zooplankton, phytoplankton, a bunch of different things can change the colour of the ocean. Like, think about it. You have seen different colours of the ocean. It shouldn't be a surprise. Like, depending on where you are, we've all seen beautiful tropical beaches with turquoise (laughs) water and Mm -hmm. white sands. And then you've got the... Well, the Red Sea isn't really that red, but then you've also got like the deep sapphire waters of the open ocean, things like that. So the ocean clearly does have separate colors that we can see, but it's something that we comment on a lot, but we don't actually think that much of in science that often, like we do a bit, but not on a global scale. So next question, have you guys seen that post that's going around at the moment and it's about how like you should wear a slightly different colored shirt every single day And it's in like a never-ending loop and so therefore like month by month you're wearing a completely different shirt but no one can tell day by day and so it's a big shock to look back (laughs) yes i have seen that okay because it's going around at the moment and essentially it turns out that our ocean has kind of been doing that whoa right Mm -hmm. it's kind of crazy yeah so it's always been doing that but at the this point in time it's moving in a certain direction and that direction is green it recently became published, uh, this research from MIT, with help from the UK National Oceanography Centre and a bunch of other oceanography centres around the world, and NASA, actually, have found that 56% of our oceans have changed colour, and it's because of the climate crisis. Oh, my goodness. I know, I really come in with a one-two punch. I'm always yeah, like, hey, yeah, this is a yeah. cool yeah. thing, and then it's always like, ah, you "Yeah, You want the that's good, good cool news crisis. or the bad news? <laughs> yeah, or would you like <laughs> both at the same time? Um, <laughs> Yeah, so essentially the changes in ocean colour cannot be explained solely by natural year-to-year variability because of course it changes, it changes all the time. But we've now gone over that level of variability and we're moving very solidly in a direction. So tropical ocean regions near the equator have progressively become greener over time, which is essentially an indication of changes in the ecosystems within the surface ocean. So like I mentioned, there's a bunch of different things that can change watercolour Sediments. So like if you've got a lot of sand, if you've got a lot of red sand, a lot of white sand, all of that will change colours because the light will refract off of those particles in the water. But similarly to that, in the ocean, we've got a lot of microbes. We've got a lot of small things, including like zooplankton, which is animal plankton, meaning like little shrimps, baby fish, baby lots of stuff, actually. And then you've got phytoplankton, which is essentially like small algae, small things that can photosynthesize, And Often, phytoplankton is green because it's photosynthesizing. Sort of similar to plants, right? Similar colors, chlorophyll and things like that. And so lots of phytoplankton can make the ocean look greener because you've got a lot of this stuff just floating around. Hmm. And what they've found is that in these areas, especially around tropical areas, the 56% is changing greener because we've got a lot more of these phytoplankton. Now, phytoplankton are essential for marine ecosystems. They are the, f- they are the foundation of the food web. They play a huge role in carbon capture and storage. So I want to be 100% clear. I am not hating on phytoplankton. I love me phytoplankton. <clears throat> Everyone loves phytoplankton. But we They're just want really, blue oceans. Really cool.
0: Can someone tell we want blue oceans there? We... We want oceans to be <laughs> of similar colour as they were about 400 years ago.
3: <laughs> <today. laughs> start that? coordinating That's the <laughs> <laughs> outfits with the rest of the scheme, goddammit. Get
0: with the program. I mean, yeah, it is
3: a personal problem for me because anyone who knows me in real life knows that I only wear blue to mm-hmm. signify <laughs> my connection to the ocean. And if it starts turning green, I'm going to have some real wardrobe yeah, issues. It's right. Um, but Besides that, it is just like a very clear indication that the ocean is shifting and the ecosystems are shifting what is interesting about this study is that it only recently got looked into and published because these changes aren't discernible to the human eye obviously we can see all the different colors but we can't really see the difference in the color like the, the changes aren't really super perceptible to us So what they did is they tracked them using a moderate resolution imaging spectroradiometer aboard the aqua satellite Mm. so we do a lot of work in the oceans now by satellite i do a lot of my work by a satellite and this is essentially looking at it on multiple wavelengths so they looked at color through seven different visible wavelengths and tracked the changes between those and that's how we found that it is turning greener because of this excess of phytoplankton which means that the ecosystem is essentially unbalanced because it's very different to what it used to be. In, let me stress, 56% of our oceans. Right. Wow.
0: Okay. Yeah. We've got some good news coming out of Formula One.
3: Oh, hell yeah! <laughs>
0: hell <laughs> and I yeah. think it is <laughs> effing awesome. Let's do <laughs> it. <laughs>
3: Okay, it's time for the best part of the show. Loosely defined as science, here yeah, you already know. Everybody listens to 4ZZZ just to hear us talking about what Butters just did. Subscriptions just keep rolling like the tires on a car. But something
1: tells me that our science curries won't go far.
4: But unlike an engine, I will keep you in suspension.
3: We're all here to hear him talk, so let's give him attention. You're not ready for when he starts rapping. Gonna hand that back to Max and I'm not talking stamping.
0: Lights out, and away we go. Okay, this weekend it's fantastic. Hu- 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 we're going to see the number three back on a car, and if you I see the number three, that means Daniel Ricciardo is going to be behind the wheel. Let's go! Mm. Two Aussies in the field at the two Hungarian. Max. Two, count them. Hey, does that question for Not you, does one, that mean that Australians
2: two. are the second most represented c- uh, country on the grid? Is it really the grids with three? They I reckon. Were I, just, about this just, yeah. Anyone okay. else have two? I don't think they do. I really. don't know.
0: The Germans used to have two all the time, but not not so used much to. now. No
2: uh not anymore. No, no. Not
0: now, and when do you reckon the last time this happened? It had two Aussies in the field. Has this happened before? Oh, yeah, 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 happened multiple really? times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in Alan Jones's day, back in the eighties, <coughs> and then. Uh, but the most recent one, you have to look back to twenty eleven. Hey, Peter, you remember that? Oh, and the I'm two sorry. and the two, <laughs> of course, <laughs> and the two drivers were. Ricky Weber and, yeah. and Ricardo. They yeah. forgot they overlapped. They did. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then I asked uh, Bing Chat GPT to the same question when was the last time this happened? Uh-huh. Two Australian drivers were on the, uh, on the grid together. And it said the last time there were two Australians on the grid was in 2019 when Daniel Ricardo and Alex Albon. We're racing in well, <laughs> <laughs> Reno and Toro Rosso. So that Rosso. made your work forty percent easier, eighteen percent better, uh, but not fact checked, right? Well, it's a
2: pass; it's fifty percent correct. That's yeah, right.
4: Okay. <laughs> How <much is> that? <laughs> if
2: you want to catch that
0: story? Yeah. go listen back after the show on fourwheelsz Yeah, for those who don't know, Alex Albon is not Australian. Yeah, I think he's from Thailand, 18.
2: isn't he? Uh, oh, he's, he's he's half Thai, half British. I think. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Okay, Formula E happened on the weekend. It was in Rome, streets of Rome. There was a big crash, and that's all I remember. I haven't w- actually watched any of it. Did you watch any of the Formula I I don't
4: e? think I did, no, but I'll have to, I'll have to definitely watch the highlights. Mm. It's such a different like, area of uh, like racing. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, big crash. I definitely saw that one.
0: Now, just, sorry, we'll just, we'll just go back to F1. Oh. Um, the Hungarian Grand Prix <laughs> this weekend, for those wondering. Who holds the record for the most wins there, you reckon?
2: At Hungary? Yeah. Schumacher or Vettel, I reckon?
0: Yeah, his name is, well, he's been seen as Shakira. Does that help? Shakira, Shakira. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I
3: can bring to this segment. I hope you appreciate it. (laughs) That's where I am at. (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough.
0: Lewis Hamilton, he's he's won it eight times, apparently. There you go. So there you go. He might win it this weekend. We don't know. Or or not. Yes. You got anything to add about the F1 game?
2: Nothing to add. Just look for Ricardo He'll be in the Alpha Tauri, which yeah. is the is, is the sort of Red Bull second team. It's not really at the moment. I think it's only like half owned by Red Bull or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, they want to put it more into line next year, they said. Helmut Marco yeah. said he wants the, mm. as many parts as they can borrow from the Red Bull main team and use them on the, um, the sister team if they can. And then
2: there's, there, there seems to be a, a bit of a plan... Of uh, potentially Ricardo driving the Red Bull, which is the main succession. One that his, yes, that Max Verstappen is yeah. is winning at the moment with, and is the one that he left a couple of years ago to go race worse cars. Yeah, uh, mm. and, and he'll get light. This has to be the game plan, doesn't that. it? I mean, he's yeah. going
0: to be replacing Perez, isn't he? Like by twenty twenty five, I'd say. Yeah,
2: seems like the plan. It seems like Do the love plan. Love it. Yeah. In competitive cars, potentially mm. over the next next couple of years, will be pretty damn cool.
0: And finally, the Valtteri Bottas and Roman Grosjean report. Valtteri has been questioning the performance of his Alfa Romeo and whether the team should abandon the current car design and go in all in for next year's design. And this is what Mercedes has sort of been talking about as well. He says, even though we are not already halfway through the season, you have to question why we're not meeting our KPIs. But Bottas is currently 15th in the championship, He's on five points, but the way I like to think of it is he's five points better than Nick DeFries, and he'll yes. always be five points better than Nick DeFries.
2: And, and Nick DeFries, who's the one who Ricardo is replacing, yes. uh, which is probably unfair to DeFries. He had 10 races, and then he got booted, which is just hard. But uh, it, it, he, he will have the rare honour, potentially, if Ricardo does all right, of mm. finishing 21st out of 20 cars mm. Mm. Oh. at the end of the season with Ricardo sorry. jumping in for the race.
0: Yeah.
4: That's cool. That's actually, that's kind of like, that's, that's really sad, but So that's kind of cool. Yeah,
0: very cool. <laughs> that's
2: kind of cool. Now, Max, we got to take some
0: Dave in, didn't we? Oh, we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just going to finish off my report. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I Roman, also have a 10 Roman, Roman, Roman Grosjean, he, uh, he managed to bid his car halfway through the race <laughs> in Toronto. But I think he did it on purpose. I'm only speculating Indy here. His IndyCar, Okay. He's Indy car, yeah. He binned it lap 40 or something. Because he speaks French and he's, he's a bit of a cook and a bit of a foodie, I think he, he, he tried to finish early so he could uh, enjoy uh, the, the warm Canadian hospitality over there. Yes, we had something in from Dave.
4: Okay. <laughs> we're just going <laughs> to leave it on you that note. <laughs> um, cool.
0: Okay, I'll bring it up. Here we go. So, were the oceans ever a different color in the past were they yellow in the jurassic period peter
3: this is actually a really cool question and i love the we brought up jurassic because it is a paleo sort of thing like we're talking yonks ago not like you know 200 300 years a while we got to go back a bit but yes the oceans have absolutely been different colors you know that sometimes they were barely even oceans they wouldn't have had much to light to refract the earth has gone through a lot of different changes but one of the things that i think is really cool and sort of relevant to the story is that there has definitely been periods of time where they've been significantly greener like very 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 green and one of these times was the great oxygenation which is a event that we like to talk about there's a couple of different times where we've had much greener oceans but this is like the main one because essentially there was this boom in phytoplankton because we had a bunch of carbon dioxide and then all of a sudden people kind of went like well people when i say people i mean eukaryotes <laughs> which is just uh, <laughs> multicellular organisms so little phytoplanktons and all the ancestors of phytoplanktons came along and they were like hey we can we can use this and make oxygen like that could be a thing that we could do and when they did that it exploded and it became this huge thing very very popular learning how to create oxygen and the world got up to what we think may be the theoretical limit of oxygen in our atmosphere at one point in time really 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 high it was very intense a lot of things died (laughs) but yes at that point in time because all these things were using as form of photosynthesis photosynthesis to create Mm. oxygen everything went very very green all over and then if well i assume unless they were doing something else we can't really Fact check that, but knowing what we know, probably very, very, very green. Probably. <laughs> That's about three hundred and fifty million years ago, by the way.
0: Cool. The
2: Whoa. text line's looking a bit slow this morning, Max. It's probably our fault for not shouting out the number enough. True, true. Text us. Request a song. If you've got something to say, say it. O four two zero six two six seven double three. The number's on the website and on the community radio plus app as well if you need to track it down.
0: I made a good little sting about this from last week when you're doing the phone number. Do you want to hear it? Sure. Go for it. And Gabe.
4: I love the pause before Gabe's name yeah. every time. <laughs> every
2: it,
0: time. Wrong one. Let's try this one. <laughs> mm-hmm. 04206. What, wait.
2: 04206 Hang on. Hang on. 26733. Three, three. That's it. <laughs> 04206 is our text line if you want to get in touch over this next few minutes. Yeah, because you. I think pretty much everyone has an opinion on this.
0: Thank you, Orlando. Furious. You tuned in to 4 Z. The show has no idea with me, Max, Izzy, Peter, and Gabe, the master. We're going to hear from V, aren't we? The next couple of minutes,
2: yeah, V and I are going to take you through two recent studies that have come out, both investigating why the bugs have gone, generally speaking, and where they've gone, and two new papers that have some new ideas about the effects of two pretty different things and two things that you might, well, one that I think you'll think about and then one uh, that you might not really associate with driving declines in insects. V has a story for us on his study that's gone out and done this massive literature review, like where you go and grab all the science you can and synthesize it down into like some, some findings that are consistent across all of these, these research papers and looking specifically at what pesticides are doing to insects around the world.
1: Hey everyone, V here for my monthly check-in. I'm going to be talking, once again, about bees. I know I've been running quite a few bee stories lately, but like, I just got my ecology degree, so how about we just let me live. As you probably know, the agricultural industry relies really heavily on pesticides. They used to grow many of our most common crops, but they're also pretty widely acknowledged to have some harmful ecological effects. For instance, they can pollute waterways or adversely impact a variety of non-target insects. Now for this reason, the use of pesticides around the world is typically regulated in some sense. At the very least, farmers are generally urged to follow certain mitigation measures to minimize the harmful effects of pesticides. These mitigation measures can include things like spraying at night, or using a specific nozzle on a pesticide sprayer, or maintaining certain buffer zones when spraying, things like that. Now the study I'm covering today was published just two days ago by the Entomological Society of America in the Journal of Economic Entomology. Entomology being the study of insects. Anyway, the study was a sort of literature review on all the peer-reviewed research that evaluated the effectiveness of these mitigation measures. That's to say how good they were at minimizing the harmful effects to bees. They managed to narrow their review down to just 34 studies and there were a couple interesting things that jumped out at the researchers. For one, there were 12 studies investigating the effectiveness of repellent additives in pesticide sprays. Repellent additives are pretty much what it says on the tin. They're compounds that are meant to discourage bees from interacting with a crop that's been recently sprayed. Now, the really bizarre part about these studies is that they only tested these repellent additives on their own. That is, they didn't test them alongside the pesticides themselves. Another weakness of these studies is that they only tested these repellent additives, or those other mitigation measures, against one species of bee. Now, this is the point I found the most interesting from an ecology perspective. Almost all the research only looked at honeybees, not other pollinators or even just other bee species. Nope. Specifically honeybees. While honeybees are the most famous bee, they're also probably the one we should focus conservation efforts on the least. They're a domesticated, managed species. Experts in the field actually consider honeybees as more of a livestock than wildlife. Like I just did a quick Google and even the ATO classifies honeybees as livestock for income assessment purposes. While there are many feral populations of honeybees in Australia, you can still think of them in the same veins as like chickens or pigs. Farmers can even rent out honeybee hives to camp out at their orchards during pollination season. In the context of pesticide mitigation measures, it seems pretty absurd to use this one domesticated species of bee, to make measures relating to all bees, especially when Australia has thousands of native species, many of which are endangered. So looking at all this research, what does it say about pesticide mitigation measures and their effectiveness on protecting bees from pesticides? Well, the fact that the research almost entirely focuses on domestic honeybees to the exclusion of other bees or pollinator species means those mitigation measures are more aimed at protecting livestock rather than wildlife. Which, if you think about it, serves more of a commercial purpose than an ecological one. The big picture finding of this literature review was that a lot of the mitigation measures and regulations surrounding pesticide use aren't really backed by strong research. Most of them just come from conventional wisdom. Most of the studies done were quite simplistic, didn't look at the mitigation measures in full context, were too reductive, or focused too narrowly on one singular species. And now you might be thinking to yourself, okay but who cares, do farmers actually follow these mitigation measures when applying pesticides to their crops? The answer is yes, they actually do. The same team that published this study had done research earlier this year which involved an anonymous survey of farmers. The survey focused on farmers' compliance with pesticide regulations and guidelines and they found that compliance was actually pretty high. The fact that farmers are willing to follow mitigation measures means it's worth it to try and get them right.
0: Tune into 4 triple Z, and the show is a No Idea with me, Max. Izzy. Yep. We've got Ag in here. Ag's Hi. Finland. We've got Peter. Whoop, whoop. And the master. Okay. And we've just been talking about bees, haven't we?
2: We have. We've been talking about bees and pesticides. And V had the story on the, the latest science about the impacts that pesticides can have on bees. And probably, well, unfortunately we don't have the data to back it up, a lot of other insects as well, including a lot of native ones here. But I've got another another secret little silent killer of insects that's around the world and affecting... Well, this latest science has found is this thing that is probably driving insect declines around the world that doesn't get nearly enough attention. Hmm. So running through the key stats, I mean, I think everyone's had the experience of of getting out of a long car drive recently and realizing there are a lot less bugs on the front of the car squished in there. Like there used to be uh enough there that you'd have to clean it off before you wanted to start using the car again you know you got you got home and you're like all right i need to stop at the servo and wash this off tomorrow because there's like a a a thin veneer of insects smeared across the front of the car you don't get that anymore 40 percent of insect species are estimated to be in decline globally one-third of the insects around the world are endangered and uh, between half and two percent declines overall every single year like it's just steadily dropping down the number of insects globally the real impact is and the main one is like unsustainable land clearing and habitat fragmentation that's not going away and that's like still the big thing but then like v mentioned there's pesticides on top of that there's invasive species and climate change thrown in on top of that and now there's a group of international researchers including some from the university of melbourne with a qs ranking max oh 43
0: no 14
2: 14, 14 yeah. that's it yeah, yeah
4: all my they, Melbourne friends yeah. were bragging about it so just implanted <laughs> in my brain
2: <laughs> they have found another killer of the world's insects and their subject of choice for this experiment wasn't the, the honeybee like V found in the stories on pesticides it was actually the humble housefly they'd exposed these flies in part of this experiment to various levels of Beijing air pollution, which is regularly above what's considered healthy. It's improved, mm. but it's still regularly above what's considered healthy. Uh, after those 12 hours, the flies got put at the end of a Y tube, which is pretty much what it sounds like. It's a small tube in the shape of a Y. The flies get fed in at the bottom of the Y, the straight bit, yes. and then they get to choose which arm they fly down into, right? Okay. Nice easy decision thing. Yeah. For, for. It's used for insects on all sorts of stuff. Uh, and so the fly chooses which one it goes down. At the one end was nothing there was a container but there was nothing in there for them to be attracted to or repelled from in the other there was something they really liked either the scent of food or the scent of fly sex pheromones and the flies the ones that had been exposed to the beijing air pollution for 12 hours went down each arm 50 percent of the time as in there was a flip of a coin basically in which one they went down they couldn't tell the difference between the arm that didn't have anything and the arm that had the food or the sex pheromone scent attracting them down that arm but then they looked at uh, some flies that hadn't been exposed to that polluted air Hmm. and they would usually pick between like 60 to 85% of the time, depending on which experimental setup they use, they would pick the correct arm. So the flies that got exposed to air pollution seemed to be losing an ability to figure out and detect where food and sex pheromones are, which are two things that are pretty important for any insect to be able to pick up on to survive. Food and a potential mate are pretty important for anything survival. They then went further though. They looked at some of these house flies under an electron microscope after exposing them to air pollution. They found air pollutants clinging to their antennas, solid particles and liquid droplets. Uh, and some of them contain things like toxic heavy metals, organic substances uh, like coal, oil, petrol, and things from wood fires, all like clumping on the antennas of these house flies. And the worse the air pollution the fly was exposed to, more stuff got stuck to its antennas and to double check this was the issue and make sure it wasn't just a crazy fluke they measured the electrical signals in the brains of the flies who had been exposed to air pollution different levels of air pollution it confirmed that the contamination of their antenna from air pollution significantly weakens the smell signals that those antenna can send to the fly's brain which is just such a horrible issue for flies to have because it means they can't detect the food, they can't detect potential mates because there is this physical barrier on their antenna that's blocking those scents from getting to the antenna and from the antenna getting up into their brain. And uh, not just a problem for uh, for like direct air pollution that we're creating, not just you know things that are coming out the back of a car. They're also saying bushfire affected areas in rural Victoria have shown that the antenna of diverse insects, including bees, wasps, moths, and Flies are contaminated by smoke particles, even at considerable differences from the fire front. So as we intensify climate change and and don't manage bushland properly, the fires are gonna be interfering even more as well, as well as like the direct stuff we're throwing up and creating pollution from. And uh, yeah, when you take it all together, about 40% of the Earth's land mass is exposed to particle air pollution concentrations above the World Health Organization's recommended annual average. So if you think about 40% of our land area where the insects are being above what the world health Organization say is safe for humans um there's probably a lot of insects out there that mm. tra- traditionally use scent to get around that are having all of that pollution physically block their antennas mm. and interfere with their ability to find food find mates and do everything else they need using their sense of smell
0: they'll have to hurry up and evolve won't they
2: <laughs>
3: Just gotta yeah, keep going. Really come be on, on then.
2: Get some windscreen wipers on. <laughs> sake, on.
3: It's just
0: evolved. It, evolve. Like, it's
3: just up to you at this point. <laughs> <isn't it? You laughs> just get up and evolve. Goddammit. We've
0: done our bit. Okay, we're gonna hear. Everyone's
3: you. out here talking about climate change, but no one's doing the hard work. and are <laughs> right? like, come
0: on. <laughs> And Gabe.
4: I love the pause before Gabe's name yeah. every time.
0: <laughs> every he, time. Like,
4: I don't. Just figuring
1: out whether or not you're worth giving a shout out to Gabe. Well,
0: <laughs> I just want to get, keep him guessing if I'm going to say Gabe or the master. Oh, okay. I yeah, see. So. On his toes. Yeah. On his toes. You tuned into 4 triple Z, and the show is no idea with Max, Izzy, mm. Peter and the master. And it's time for this. No idea. Space news. Better bring up the file. though. Rocket Lab is exploring reusability with their first stage electron booster using ocean recovery. Disappointing disappointing me because they were using the novel approach of air recovery, weren't they, Gabe? They were swooping in with a helicopter with a big hook and trying to pick (laughs) up the booster as it came down I feel like From I played space. that
4: Flash game <laughs> way back. <laughs> <laughs> That's That's right.
0: cool. <laughs> so now they're, de- they're designing. They, sh- they tried for so long, did. Max. They did. They caught for it. Long.
2: And then they, and caught then they it. got to the point where they're like, well, oh, we just need to slow it down a bit more. Oh, yeah, no, no. Yeah. We nearly got it. We'll just slow it down a bit more. Make it even slower with the parachute. And yeah. then they must have just gotten to a point where they're like, oh, we've actually just slowed it down enough that it can just sort of parachute to the ground. And to the so water, like, yes. Yeah. Exactly. I
0: mean, <laughs> <laughs> So now that it's that, basically you've got to give it like an iPhone sort of water rating now of IP68 to, right. to, 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 to save. That's exactly what it is, dude.
3: That was the official measure and everything. Yeah. It's actually IP68.
0: That's good. India has launched another lunar lander. Having lost Vikram back in 2019, which we reported about. R.I.P. Oh. With the uh-huh. hard landing. Poor Lots Vikram. Anyway. August twenty-four. Tune in to see if Vikram number two manages to land safely this time.
4: Vikram two electric bigelow.
0: And if it's successful, <laughs> India will become the fourth country to land on the moon after Izzy, USA, <sighs> Russia, ah. and China. Now, have you seen the Airbus Beluga XL? Check it out. Put <gasps> I it in. Have. Put that into crime. Check it out. Airbus, yeah. Beluga, Airbus. XL.
3: It looks like a Beluga.
0: Uh, it's cool. It's, it's, it's XL. a whale. They've it painted really it up like, like a, a whale.
4: Oh, that's cute as hell. Oh, it's my God. So
3: it's got, like, the chubby cheeks oh, and wow. everything. It
0: made its first flight back on this day, back in 2018. And the aircraft Aww. livery is of a whale. It has 30% more capacity <laughs> than its predecessor, which means it can now carry two wings instead of one for Airbus as they build... They're airplanes across the world two
3: two wings yeah it can carry to one Yes,
0: yeah, so it can carry two wings inside as well it's it's two on the outside obviously oh, so it can fly sorry yeah it's like, internal I've capacity seen one with one but yeah. that's interesting <laughs> so airbus needed an airplane that could ship oversized parts more frequently mm. and so they built this and had a bit of fun with the livery of it now artemis 3 this is when boots on the ground uh nasa going back to the lunar surface after 50 years of not being there. Seems a long time, doesn't it? Anyway, there was an opinion the moon, piece. It's probably quite short. <laughs> <laughs> there was an opinion piece written by Walt Focano, and he reckons that the incremental approach that NASA uses isn't being used for the Artemis 3 mission. And he's a bit concerned because there's a lot of unknowns, like landing at the South Pole of the Moon landing using a spacex starship uh transferring the astronauts out of the orion spacecraft into the starship even before they land on the moon and he feels that to make it a bit less uh dangerous say let's underst- let's land it back at um, tranquility bay where they landed with the apollo missions And also, it'd be a good um, PR exercise because they're going to check out the equipment that NASA left behind 50 years ago and see how it's faring.
3: Clean up their mess. Clean (laughs) it all up. Stop littering on the moon. When are we
0: going to start talking (laughs) about the litter on the moon? Have you guys got my um, Space News document up in Google Drive? Just bring it up because down the bottom there's a photo of this alleged meteorite that hit the French woman on her terrace. She apparently she was sitting out in the terrace, probably having a cigarette, allegedly, at mm. four a.m. in the morning, local time, on July six. Oh! When she heard a knock on the roof, and then a pebble fell off the roof and into her rib cage. What? I know. Oh.
4: No, start that again. She oh, fell off the roof.
2: Secondary impact. That yes. That's not being hit.
4: Sorry, it went in her to rib, rib cage. cage. Well, no, just the, uh,
0: on top of her chest. There
4: yeah, that's what oh, I oh. thought. Yeah, I was like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we got <a> projectile <laughs> off the roof <laughs> into her rib cage.
0: Anyway, this is a
4: roof is so <laughs> It rolled, and landed. On, there's a photo. Oh, wow. on the,
0: there's a photo there for you to look at. As soon as they published the photo, the specialists in the meteorite field said, "Hey, this picture clearly shows that this is not a meteorite. These rocks have way too many angles to be meteorites." So if you have a look at the photo, have you seen the photo? It looks like a meteorite yeah. to me. Yeah.
2: It, it looks like it's I don't know. It looks shaming. like a lump of
4: um, meteorite shaving, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> shouldn't meteorites Charcoal be allowed maybe? to be angular? <laughs> I don't know what it looks like. Look, it could be. It's not like it's pretty smooth, it's but pretty it's, smooth. it's got some like sharper ridges on it. it. Hmm. So it's uh, a knife of beauty. Could you the roof he? though? No. Well, I'm just trying to think. Like a uh, higher up, like it doesn't look like a bit of like road. It doesn't look like a bit of like. I don't know.
0: looks like a bit of pumice stone, doesn't it, really? It looks like at it. Yeah, it does. It's yeah. what it looks like. It does yeah. look like a bit of pumice stone. <laughs> so it's volcanic. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Anyway, probably
4: yeah, For
2: the maybe it was some, some romantic thing going on or someone trying to get their attention at the, yeah, window, she didn't see the boom box with right. the boy, <laughs> hit, yeah, exactly. Hit, hit the roof, hit her in the chair, maybe, and she cried media, right? And the guy standing there with the boom box on the street, just looking all sick. <laughs> or well, maybe
4: her neighbor's, neighbors just like thrown mm. over a bit of,
2: uh, or just, yeah, nasty neighbor. And not the only thing that's fallen out of the sky that's been unexpected though, Max. At yeah. the top of the show, we mentioned something over in Perth. Yes. Uh, I'm just gonna yeah. to <gasps> quote what uh, the Australian Space Agency's put up on Twitter, mm. uh, which is we are currently making inquiries related to this object located on a beach near Durian Bay in Western Australia which looks like I don't know what would you describe it looks like Max? It looks like, like a, p- a big
0: part of an Indian booster that's what they reckon It does look a lot <laughs> like <laughs> a part of an Indian stage 3 rocket uh, and That was 20 years a, ago Almost
2: like a like a yeah. copper, yeah, yeah. Small copper like water tank Yeah tank like a small pressure cooker pot Yeah, a, but yeah Quite but, large but, but, like mm, you could fit inside But like yeah head mm. height mm. Sort of big pressure cooker pot-looking thing. Covered in barnacles. Uh, the object, they say, could be from a foreign space launch vehicle and we are liaising with global counterparts who may be able to provide information. As you said, Max, pretty much every reply to that tweet is a screenshot of the the uh, Indian <laughs> spacecraft. What's it called? It's called... Uh, I can't even remember now. Uh, the Chand- Chandrayan 3 Stage not, not 3 rocket. Not, Victor- not Vikram. <laughs>
4: and China. not... MH370, people were talking oh, yeah, about, yeah, true, MH370, yeah. a bit of
2: yeah, um, controversy
4: there. off the,
2: yeah.
4: yeah, so we don't. And just
2: just to, to do our duty as the community radio show, I should also mention their other thing they say, which is, as the origin of the object is unknown, the community should avoid handling or attempting to move the object. I believe WA police have set up a, a nah, line yeah, around, they're around they're it, right yeah, there's you well in, there. so yeah, yeah. you'd have to try pretty hard to get in there, but uh, don't touch it
3: it's grounded.
0: It's just a UO, not a UFO. A UO. And that's it for No Idea this week. Gabe, sign us out, please.
2: It is all we have time for this week. Thanks for tuning in. You can catch the full show on the www4 website where you can also see the stories we've covered listed out for you to go back on. You can find us next week, 10 to 12, on Wednesday morning for your next dose of science. Sounds pretty good. Thanks, Max. Thanks, Izzy. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, V. Thank you, uh, you guys. And we'll see you again next week. What do you got, Max, Place <laughs> play us out? We've got outro music. We'll speak to you well, next down. week.